0: Tonight we have been asked off and on for quite some time, some questions, very pertinent questions that of course have been answered to some of us, so a lot of this <coughs> that we're going to say is probably not news to some of you, but I'd like for you to bear with me tonight while we uh, bring some of them up to date on some of these questions. Everything is is going along. It entered into the 80s and if we get out of the 80s without Jesus coming there's going to be some very important events happen. I notice I said if we get through the 80s. I don't know uh, exactly where we're at. The Bible lets us stay pretty close to where we're at but everything seems to be coming along. There's uh, efforts being made everywhere that didn't used to be to get the gospel to the uh, every creature into the whole world. This is being uh, put priority number one in the majority of uh, churches. And we find uh, Russia beginning to make her move. We don't know just how long she will continue. It depends upon the reaction of the world toward her. But if she doesn't get any resistance, she's making her move. The United States of America, of course, uh, is setting back quietly. And, uh, of course, because she is, and she's not making any moves. The uh, European nations are beginning to not trust her. And so they're going to get together not only for a common market, but they're going to get together for a military power. This, this is on the agenda. This is going to happen because they can see the handwriting on the wall. And before too long, why, of course, China and Russia has to be alienated, and they are. And, of course, our friendship with them will not last too long. It's just something that they're using us for. And perhaps vice versa, we're using them also. But the events, every place in Africa, uh, every place you look, you, you see unrest, and you see nations beginning to make their moves. And uh, we see the uh, almost withdrawal, of, of course, of England, out of the common market, it's it's on the agenda. If they can get enough votes, they will withdraw. And if they do, of course, well, then this will be one of the scriptures fulfilled in Revelations that says, come out of her, my people, and be not partakers of her sins. And so many things that, that it's mind-boggling when I, when I stand and look at it, and I wonder really how people can set. Now, I know how the world can because they're deluded. The the uh, uh, economists and all of them sometimes paint a pretty grim picture, and then they'll come along and say, "Well, it's not so bad after all. Everything will be just fine." But we have predictions of gasoline two dollars and a half before the end of the year, and we have Russia, as I said, making her move toward the oil fields. We have uh, Israel, or the nation, so-called Israel, with its gathering of the Jews back getting them ready for their last final bloodbath. And on and on and on it goes. Right down the line you have earthquakes almost dominating the screen anymore. large and small in diverse places. And you have again wars and rumors of wars and all of this. And not only that, but on the religious scene you see it making its move. You see the world church beginning to dominate the scene, so to speak, the world council of churches. You see uh, ministers who are Uh, a little bit on the, what I would say, the funny side, the compromising side, gaining preeminence, and anything that's truth is being put down, and paving the way for the uh, false church, so to speak, and all of this, and then you see again the falling away that has been talked about so much. You, You see that every place. You see individuals that were one time on far for God, and one time anything didn't hardly bother them. They just went right on serving God anyway. Now then, any little thing, they carry a chip on their shoulder, and any little thing almost can uh, cause them to feel bad and weaken them, and so on. And, and we see this, the falling away, and, and we see the unconcerned, and this is according to the Bible, of, of individuals. And we see lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, that man would, would give anything for pleasure and not too much for God. And while all of this is going on, unforeseen or unseen, so to speak, we find, just like the Bible said, we find God's true people being being able to uh, stand and take a good look at themselves. This has to come first. Take a good look at themselves and see where they're lacking. Just seeing what in their lives is not what it ought to be. And then beginning to do something about it. They're not getting the job done all at once. And of course, uh, that's not par for course anyway, but at least they are taking a look at themselves and they're beginning to make ready for the coming of Jesus. And they're beginning to take hold of that scripture that says, when these things come to pass, lift up your head for your redemption draweth nigh. And they're beginning to look at these and beginning to make a change in their life. Things that used to mean something and perhaps to the flesh still does, doesn't glow so bright anymore. They're more interested in getting their lives ready to meet Jesus. And uh, I, I look out, and I do this often, and, and it, it, it disturbs me. It, it tears my heart, and, and, and uh, the reason it does, I think, is because I feel like my hands are tied. I stand and look at young people, strapping young men. I look at several that we have around here, and I, I know good and well that they're going to be growing up in about one of the worst times And and I know that our nation is going to be drawn into war uh, if we continue the same trend. And uh, yet I I see that uh, homes are not concerned. I think this is the primary thing that bothers me is mom and dad is not concerned enough to set uh, rules and bylaws to govern their lives. And uh, schools, of course, are not concerned. And the only one that seems to be concerned sometimes is the church or church people, brothers and sisters, and uh, they seem to think that we want to alienate them from the good life. But as I, I see you sometimes and look at you, that I know that just a few years, most of you put on just a few more years, and before the 80s are out, why, you'll be a prime target for Uncle Sam. You, you'll you be on, on the front lines, no doubt, and... and uh, Uh, The way it's going now, I don't even think I'll just have to look at young men. I think maybe I can look at young women who also, if things go through, are going to be right alongside. And when you paint a picture like that, you paint a picture of gloom, of course. And I think sometimes we ought to see a little bit of this in our world and open our eyes to realize that we're just not living a charmed life that it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. Now, we'll either live till Jesus comes, and if we're going to live that long, we're going to have to be ready to meet him, or we're going to die. Either way, we're going to face God. And I don't think we have just a whole lot more time to get ready to do it in. And I think some of us ought to take up some slack in our lives, and I mean it. Sincerely, I'm I'm not throwing off on you. I think we need to take up some slack in our lives. And I think we need to use a little more time in prayer and Bible study. And more than anything else, I think that we need to take a little more time for a home life than we ever have in our entire life. Because this has to start at home. This was Satan's primary target. Has always been the home. If he can destroy the home... He can destroy the nation. He can destroy a godly outlook. And, of course, uh, Malachi, I think, in ending the chapter, says there has to be something or somebody or a ministry that will come and turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children, hearts of the children back to the fathers. In other words, recreate a home like it ought to be. The only sound structure that's going to be able to cause us to endure individually we're not going to be able to do it. We need each other not only as a family, but we need each other as a church, as a church. And I I would make a plea at the beginning of this new year that every one of us would not make a resolution, but that we would just purpose in our heart by the help of God that we would some way or somehow be big enough to overlook the faults and the failures and the downfalls and the critical attitudes sometimes of one another and realize that they're your brother, your sister, and you need them. I'm not just making this plea for, for the establishment of a strong church. I'm making it because I think it's going to take that to see us through. And I would admonish everybody to get busy and to find something to do. Now, you're all not going to be able to fill this pulpit. And you're all not going to be able to find things to do that would put you out and put you forward. But there's a lot of things in this church there is to do. A lot of things. And most of the things that most of you want to do are things that you're not qualified to do. And what you need to do is find what you can do and start there. I think more than anything else, and I've had people come and ask me, What can I do in church? And I'll say, well, we need prayer warriors more than we need anything else. (laughs) And you'll never be seen and you'll never be heard and nobody will ever know you're busy. I doubt seriously that we get them because there's something about the make of humanity that wants to be noticed. I told my wife a lot of times, I wish, I wish, and I, I mean this, I've been put out in front, and of course you get shot out, shot out and shot up out in front, but I wish that God would just let me try it for a while to be a prayer warrior and just kind of enter into my closet and just be silent about it and sit in the background and let somebody else get shot out a while. I think, I think I'd really know how to pray for them. I'm, I mean it. I, I think, I think I'd, I'd really, when somebody's shot out, even, even now with you, uh, when the world begins to, to give you a bullet, so to speak, and I hear something critical, uh, I take up for you, but I'm not satisfied until someplace I can get a hold of God and ask him to help you and strengthen you because I know that some of these times it's going to come right to you. That's what we need. And uh, we need prayer for our leaders, not only the leaders of our nation, but the leaders of our church. Uh, Now tonight, that really wasn't what I wanted to talk about, so I won't charge you for that. That's just free. But in answer to some of the questions I have have quite a bit that I want to move over and I would like to do it slowly and I would like to read it off so that we can get as much out of it as possible however I would like to not have it so dry that uh, you uh, would go to sleep you know what I'm talking about there was a church one time that got on fire and a uh, minister was running running up to it and one of the deacons came up and said pastor did you get your sermons out he said no i didn't so this man runs in there grabs up all the sermons of the pastor and brings them out the pastor was overwhelmed he said i sure thank you for doing that said i didn't realize they meant that much to you and he said well that really wasn't the reason the reason was this that I knew if the fire ever got to them, they were so dry that the whole church would just go up in flames. (laughs) So that's not what I'm after. I'd like to have something that would kind of keep you alive, and yet I feel like these things are so important that I would like to kind of just go slow. I'd rather not preach. I'd rather not teach. I'd rather just answer questions. Is that all right? All right, some questions that we have, and we'll do our best to get some answers. What is resurrection? Now, that sounds simple enough, but yet there's a lot of controversy about that. What will our resurrected bodies be like? Will our resurrection bodies be an improvement over our present ones? How can we be sure that God will give us a resurrection body? Will we know one another after death and resurrection? And I like this one, will I still be me? And, and, and it's funny, but there was several, and especially in the younger class, wanted to know, will I still be me? And so we're going to attempt to answer as far as we can without keeping you past midnight on these questions. First, what is resurrection? Now resurrection is a raising to life again after death, that's sure, but it's more than that. We need to recognize that it is also the beginning of the glorification or the changing of the physical body to share in the glorious redemption provided by the Lord for the whole man by Jesus. We have redemption, so to speak, of the inner man. Our, our spirit, our soul, if you want to put it that way, our heart, our mind ha- has been redeemed or, uh, or made whole again. And yet, while that's the case, we have uh, this treasure in earthen vessels. We have a body that has not been redeemed as yet, even as our innermost being has. Now, the Greek word for resurrection is simply anastasis. A-N-A-S-T-A-S-I-S. And this simply means to make, to stand, or to rise up. And uh, this is the one that I really liked. It says to rouse out of a sound sleep. Hallelujah. To rouse out of a sound sleep. And the dead in Christ The Bible tells us more times than one are asleep in Christ. Thank God they're in peaceful slumber, bliss. And then when comes time for the resurrection, comes time for the redemption of this body, why, then the Spirit of the Lord will come. Just like the Bible says and raise it, rouse it, up out of the sound, sound, peaceful slumber. And also resurrection is a personal restoration of the individual to life. After the body and the spirit have been separated by death, now the body and the spirit constitutes what we want to call a soul, but after the body and the spirit has been separated by death, even if the body has already decomposed, even if there doesn't seem to be anything left there, the great omnipresence of God moves on the scene and reunites these that he has always claimed as his. Hallelujah. This portion of man that he says was his. He has never given any part of us to the powers of the enemy. He has claimed every ounce of us, every part of us, so to speak. And uh, that's resurrection. The person's own identity is restored including memory recognition the ability to communicate and on and on and on you go Job I think perhaps gives us one of the best answers I know of on that when he thought to know about the place of man if a man dies shall he live again there's hope of a tree He says, and then the revelation of God comes upon him, and he says, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and that he shall stand at the latter days upon the earth. And though after my skin worms destroy this body, yet in my flesh shall I see God, whom I shall see for myself. Hallelujah. Memory. A recognition. A restoration, an ability to communicate, and mine eyes, hallelujah, mine eyes shall behold and not another, though my reins or my seat of personhood or my personality, seat of passions be consumed within me. Even though this seems to be gone, Job says it's going to be restored when the presence of God comes and moves upon the scene. Whether we have something so great in God and so mighty and so magnificent and so astonishing sometimes, when I sit down and look at it, and I wonder, God, can it really be so? But yet, according to the scripture, it is. Resurrection involves the reinfusion of Life into a real corpse. Hallelujah. Just remember the time when God made man out of some clay, dust of the earth? And laid him there, and there was man had all the facilities to be something, but he wasn't anything until God breathed the breath of life into him, and then the spirit and the body, all the substance God made, man became a living soul. Hallelujah! If God can do that one time, brother and sister, He can do it again, and not only can He, but He will. Hallelujah! If so be that you die in Christ. You shall be made alive. That's a promise.
1: Amen. Hallelujah. Not only
0: can he just redeem this inward man, I, I get so tired of that, that the breath leaves and, and the soul goes fluttering around someplace and we're disembodied and we don't know where our home is or anything like that. Whether you're asleep when you die and you awake the resurrection and the unity between spirit and body and God creates from this old something new. Hallelujah. Something far more glorious than we can even understand. That's the resurrection is resulting in the raising up to life of a literal body. Now tonight we're not talking about somebody that's supposed to be dead but was only unconscious. We're not talking about the renewal of someone in suspended animation, so to speak. But we are declaring that people who are unmistakably dead can experience the reversal. I want you to hear that can be experienced the reversal of the process of corruption. How? By God's innovation. Hallelujah. You know, when man goes to the grave, he begins to corrupt. You find this that it takes four days before corruption sets in. Because Jesus was there for three days and three nights, corruption hadn't set in. Lazarus was there four days. And four nights, and they said, by now, he thinking. In other words, corruption has started to set in. And corruption goes until this old body, so to speak, whatever is laid in the grave. I'm not sure as I stand there exactly what all is included that is laid in that grave. And I do know it starts to decompose. I do know that it starts to rot. I do know that there is a re- uh, process of corruption. I know this. And I also am fully aware That when the time comes that God gets ready to call forth all of His saints, He begins a reversal of that corruption process and creates from that which was corruptible that which is incorruptible that will live forever. Oh, glory to God. Hallelujah. Praise God. Now you answer me a question. How can you trade this grand and glorious promise regardless of how obscure and dark it might seem. How can you trade this eternity for a few small bites of worldly pleasure? You know, Christians' minds ought to be challenged. Sinners' minds ought to be challenged because you are going somewhere and you're doing it tonight. You are on a journey. You are setting your stage and you're setting your habits. And whatever you are at the coming of God, or at the burial of yourself, is what you be when you face Jesus. And friend, I know this. I don't know with what type of body the uh, wicked dead will come forth with. I have enough trouble trying to find out this, and I'm not really concerned, but I do know this. And it will be annihilated from the face of the earth. And what you have here is exactly everything you will ever have whatsoever. But to the child of God, there is an eternity out here that we need to strive for. And the Bible says, don't let no man take your crown. Friend, it's worth more than a few pleasures. It's worth more than being so ashamed of your God at your school or your work, that you cannot stand up for Him or call His name. It's worth more than that. We're working for an eternity, not just a few short years, and then it's gone. A lot of us feel like because we're young, we're here for a long time. I don't think most of you will see old age. I believe Jesus will be coming for them, but if He doesn't, you look out over your television, and you see most of the people that lost their lives over the New Year's holiday and you look at the age group. Alright? What I'm trying to say is Satan has designs to snuff your life out while you're young. And God has designs to take a young life and make it something that he can end this age with. And there is a battle for the young mind and the young heart. There is a battle for that. And sometimes when I look in our congregation, I get the terrible feeling that the devil is winning. And something strikes a chord within me, and I say, God, what else can be done to salvage a young mind? Because they have to end this age. I don't know whether I'll be going this strong or not when Jesus comes. I don't even know whether I'll be able to fill this pulpit until Jesus comes. I'm not sure any of the men are sitting behind me will be able to do this. And as sure as I'm standing here someplace, out here among that young congregation, there's somebody God has His hand on. And He wants your mind, and He wants your soul. And I think it's time we were beginning to give God some consideration. Look. He has promised you more than the powers of hell can ever promise you. Resurrection involves, as I said, reinfusion of life, a complete reversal of the process of corruption by God's innovation. Jesus said, Behold, my hands and my feet. That it is I myself. Handle me and see, for a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. In other words, Jesus is saying and has said that we would receive a body fashioned after his glorious body and after his resurrection he came forth and said, now I'm not a spirit that you can pass through. Just feel me and handle me for I am flesh and bones. The only thing that was gone... That had been there before was the life that was in the blood. He no longer lived by life infusion moving out of blood. And his life has by the mighty spirit of God had brought him out of the grave and that's where your life is going to be. There will be no one living. That is an are living after the old-fashioned way of, of, of blood. Resurrection is the redemption of our bodies. God changes our bodies to correspond, and I like this, to correspond with the nature of our redeemed spirit. Now you see, this would end all conflict because we have a spirit inside here that is good and kind and patient and true and knows no animosity and knows no hatred and knows only an eternity and knows only good and desires to do only good and it's in an earthly vessel an earthen vessel it is completely the opposite of course this vessel has not received its redemption yet but one of these days when God comes all their conflict will be ended and this body will take on the same capabilities and the same thoughts and the same desires as what dwells within you Hallelujah! You won't have to fight a devil to be good. Thank God you won't succumb to the powers of the enemy. It's all going to be there. Hallelujah. While the body we receive in the resurrection will be unmistakably our own. Hallelujah. It'll be your own. But it'll not be the same frail frame, the same weak thing that was buried. It will be changed, and we said that a while ago, by the power of God and fashioned like His own. Thank God we're sown in weakness, we're raised in strength. We're sown some mortal, we're raised immortal. We're sown corruptible, we're raised incorruptible. That which goes down, this frail frame subject to weaknesses, subject to disturbances, Subject to desires and human nature. will not be bound by that anymore. It'll be changed by the power of God. And our bodies, hallelujah, will be able to express the type of person that's inside us that wants to be expressed right now. Hallelujah. There won't be anything fighting against it. And I thought as I looked over that and the Spirit of God moved upon me uh, on, on that one truth, I thought, my Lord, you talk about freedom. You talk about soaring to the height. You talk about moving into the atmospheric powers of God. You talk about something that is unlimited. You just let this old body be able to react to that spirit that's within me and brother, there'll be nothing that can stop us. And this is God's promise. That is, if we hold out. If we don't sell out, if we are born again, if we give our heart and lives to God, if we live and strive to be the kind of individual that He wants us to be, we'll be able to express the person that we become. It says, Christ shall change our vile bodies that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body according to the workings whereby He is able even to subdue all things. Under himself. You find that in Philippians 3.21. Of course, we went over this several times. What will our resurrected body be like? The body provides two basic sources, of course, for information regarding our resurrected bodies. The example of Jesus' own body is described in the Gospel and Acts. And the descriptions by analogy are, are by comparison in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians. Jesus' resurrection body was both the same, and yet it was different, if you can imagine that, from his mortal body. His resurrection body was without limitations. He could appear at will. Whenever he got ready, he could pass through walls. Hallelujah. Thank God. It appears sometimes that his uh, facial uh, expressions or appearances was changed uh, at times. It, it looks like uh, whenever you begin to view it, some have good explanations for that, and I, I just have to say I don't know. But according to what God speaks to me, it, it very well could be, I suppose, because uh, I think God is going to do something for us, and I think he's going to take us from wherever we attain our fullness and maturity at, well, that's where we're going to be in the resurrection. But uh, I don't know. Some of his closest friends sometimes didn't recognize him, but there was other personal characteristics that just identified him as the same person. Regardless if his facial expressions were changed, I want you to get this real good. Inside, Jesus had that personality that he was married with it still carried forth from the other side of the grave simply because when he spoke or when he said certain things or acted a certain way, this brought his disciples to identify him. Hallelujah. Now, some of you has got a sour personality. I hope that don't carry over to the grave and on through it. But what I'm trying to say, I think, is the personality that would be ours and is ours through the Spirit. And, and, and that's the type of thing that I long to see. You, you talk to somebody in the Spirit, and you talk to them when the Holy Ghost is on them, and they are one of the best personalities that you know. Well, they have to have, because it's a spiritual thing. Now, Jesus' body was not a ghostly type of thing, but it was tangible, it was visible, people touched him, people saw him, people heard him, and people ate with him, and he ate with them. And Jesus continued, and you'll notice this in the Scriptures, he continued where he left off in his teachings. Now after the grave, he remembered what his promise was and what he had and had not accomplished in his instructions to his disciples. He met them in Galilee as he promised before his death. So evidently memory is not impaired. If you're going to take an analogy of Jesus compared to us, he knew exactly where he left off in his teachings before he died. He knew what he had fulfilled in his teachings. He knew what he hadn't. He knew what he had told his disciples he was going to do. And after his resurrection, he began to do those very things. So his memory evidently survived the grave. Hallelujah. Probably even was better. I hope mine is better when I get on the other side. Praise the Lord. Now Paul's analogies are paralleled, so to speak, from natural things. Will help us to see the simplicity and the naturalness of this process of transition in the resurrection. Now Paul describes the body like a seed. Now anybody that's gardening or knows anything at all uh, about it, he uh, just more or less puts it this way, it's like a seed that's planted and must die in order to bring forth a new form of life. Now, it's the same seed. You'll notice that. But its life is different in manifestation. We can't trace the continuity of the life uh, of this body, so to speak, but we can look at the seed, and we can get a parallel of that. The Scriptures tell us that as the seed is, so also is the resurrection of the dead. Now, that shoot that comes out of the ground may bear no resemblance, in a sense, to the seed that was planted. And our new body, physically speaking, I don't know, may not resemble fully our own one, but it still will be a continuity of the inward life, that which is inside of us in its resurrected manifestation. You'll find these things in First Corinthians 15, 35, and 42, and of course Mark mentions it in the fourth chapter. Uh, if you'll notice a seed, you place the seed in the ground. There it is. You place our body in the ground. And that seed undergoes a, a process of uh, corruption, so to speak, rotting. But before it ever begins to do anything else. Now, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me to know that my body or the body of my loved ones would reach corruption stage, that maybe there wouldn't be much left of it that there's something that knows on the inside of me and lets me know there's far more. There's far more that was laid in that grave. There's far more than just what God created out of the dust of the earth. He lets me know that inside there's someplace, is something that He is going to use in that resurrected body and change it and fashion it and use it. And many of the things we go into the grave with we're going to come out with. He pictures our mortal bodies, of course, as just a temporary tent dwelling, a tent you can take it down fold it up, move it to another place. And in direct contrast, he says, our resurrection bodies will be our permanent house. Paul describes the body in terms of the clothing we take off and put on. Of course, when we die, we're separated from this outward covering, that God doesn't leave us disembodied or naked. He provides, according to 1 Corinthians 5, 4, an immortal covering, an immortal house, a house in the heavens, something that fades not away. Hallelujah. No wonder Abraham dwelled in tents. No wonder that there, there was a process there. You can look at Abraham and never had a permanent dwelling. He dwelled in tents all the time because he looked for a city that had foundation whose builder and maker was God. I don't mind if I dwell in the tent all the days of my life on this world. I don't mind that this old tent of mine, this old frail house of mine, is folded up sometimes, and I'm laid in the grave. What I do mind is that I have laid up, thank God, a crown of righteousness, a house that is not temporal, that is eternal, and will last forever, and there'll never be no more sickness, no more death, no more dying for this body, for I will have taken on incorruption and immortality. To me, it's not a fairy tale. To me, it's something that is desperately needed. We have to have it. Will our resurrected bodies be an improvement over our present ones? Well, of course, we know better. We know that it is. God will give us brand new bodies. It will be far better than our present mortal bodies. As I said, He'll give us bodies, attributes, things in there that will be able to express the spiritual treasure. I'm so limited sometimes to be able to express through this mortal tongue, this mortal mind, and these eyes. I'm so limited to be able to express inside where that vessel is and where that treasure is. I'm limited to express what it's all about. I can't express it in action. I can't express it in words. And when I get that new body, I'll be able to express and live exactly what the Spirit is within me right now. Hallelujah. I'll be a complete whole man. Our new bodies will be incorruptible, of course. This is found in 1 Corinthians 15, about the 42nd to 53rd verse. Sickness and age, of course, it weakens the body until it collapses. Or death may come suddenly. But the resurrected body will be free from deterioration, free from corruption, thank God. And all of this sickness comes, age comes from the time we're born almost, we start to die. But all this will be passed. Hallelujah. Our new body will be powerful. We're so in weakness. We spend our entire life aware of human limitations. Our bodies are not equal to our minds and we know that but in resurrection they will be. Thank God. (laughs) Hallelujah. Our new body will be spiritual. That doesn't mean it's going to be ghostly, so to speak, or intangible, but it will be a suitable thing for expressing our finest aspirations and our spiritual qualities. And it will be perfectly adapted to its new environment. Hallelujah. The Spirit will one more time be in control of the body as it was before the fall of Adam. Hallelujah. Can you imagine that when the Spirit controls the body instead of the body trying to control the Spirit? Our body, of course, will be heavenly. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. Jesus' resurrected body had flesh and bones, but blood in this mortal life, the life's in the blood, we said that, but in the resurrected body, the Spirit will contain the life. How can we be sure that God will give us a resurrected body. How can we be sure? Now there's some of us sitting here tonight that does not even have the promise of this. And there's some that have the promise but are living their lives so pregnant against God's order until before he comes and takes us, no doubt we won't even be able to receive it. If we are in Christ, we have a guarantee. Now that's the only eternal security I can promise you, is as long as you are in Christ, as long as you are obedient to Him, as long as you're trying to find your weaknesses and correct them. That's not to say should you die and still have weaknesses, that God would just count it all losses, not to say that. And as long as you're living in Christ, what He reveals, you try to do. You see, you, you, you can't have a guarantee. Most of us are fooling ourselves, and a lot of us are fooling ourselves by thinking we are guaranteed something because we just half-heartedly try. Or because we come to church sometimes when it's convenient for human flesh. Amen. And yet the devil fools us into thinking that we just automatically inherit heaven. But that's not so. And I wouldn't want to be responsible for telling you a lie and making you believe tonight that you can live in the way you want to, disregard God's laws and God's commandments, and still sail right into the kingdom. It will not work. And still take on a body that's incorruptible. It will not work. God has already, you know, if you have the Spirit, He's already given you an earnest or down payment that guarantees the rest of the inheritance will follow. Hallelujah. The earnest or the Greek, Arabian, is the initial down payment that guarantees both that the complete inheritance will be given and that the remainder will be of the same quality as the down payment. The redemption of our body is clearly a part of our inheritance. Paul elaborated on the function of the Holy Spirit as our earnest and guarantee in his letter to the Ephesians when he wrote in Ephesians 1, 13, and 14. You read that. The Holy Spirit is pictured both as a seal and as an earnest. This emphasizes twice his work in giving us security and a guarantee. Barclay, in reading after him, says, The Spirit of Christ is the first installment of the life to come. All right, now, will I still be me? Well, I hope some of you aren't. (laughs) But I suppose this is probably one of the deepest questions within our heart. And we're not concerned with theory or thoughts. We want to know, really, I do, and I'm sure you do, what's going to happen to us. We want to know this. Will we still be the same person we are now? Will we remember what happened to us in this life and continue through eternity? What we're really asking is, does resurrection mean that we will continue to have personal identity? Will personality survive the grave? And thank God the Bible gives us a resounding yes in answer to these questions. I want to give you a few of the evidences that's in the Scripture for the continuity of our individual identity. Jesus Christ, we'll take him as our example, has always been the same person, though in different bodily forms. Amen. His personality could be found any place. He's always been the Son of God, the Word of God, with its unique personality, the personality of God. He was the pre-incarnate Word with the Father before creation until he came to the earth as a baby. He lived among us in a limited human body for 33 years. He was crucified, he died, he was buried, and he was raised from the dead with a new body. Resurrection might have made a few changes, but he was still the same Jesus they had known. He picked up with his disciples where he left off, and continued his preparation of them to be his witnesses. Jesus remained the same person through all his changes. And if he is our example, so will we. So will we. Job asked and answered his own question about the continuance of personality. Now, personality simply means being a real person or being yourself and not somebody else. You have individual existence that are, uh, has very unique, personal characteristics. God didn't make every one of us alike. Not at all. The total combination of characteristics which mark you as you and distinguish you from anybody else is your personality. What could be clearer now as we read Job? Job would be himself. Note too that the Hebrews consider the reins or the kidneys as the seed of personhood. I said that before. That they considered that as the personality especially in our ability to make choices. And Job prophesied that it would be a continuance of his ability to respond in a personal way, to recognize others, and to make decisions. Jesus compared, of course, the resurrection life to that of the angels. Angels are individual spirit beings. They have definite identity, and they are not confused with one another. If you've ever had any experience with angels, I don't mean seeing them, but ever really had any personal experience with angels, you'll know that each one has a distinct recognizable personality. Ways that you can know them just by the way they feel or the things they say to you or so to speak their actions toward you, they're recognizable. And the Bible tells us that we'll be as the angels in heaven. We will have a distinct personality. Their activities and their relationship with God is even different. They have different uh, activities down here on this earth, different things, different movements in around the people, and their characteristics are, are different. And Paul stated that our resurrection bodies will have different glories also. The same God who created us with different bodies and personalities in the first place, of course, will give us a new bodies that pleases him, one that fits our own personality. The God that makes every single snowflake different, every blade of grass different, will not suddenly decide to make us all alike in the resurrection. Amen. Hallelujah. That's only a few of the many scriptures, of course, that teach about the continuity of personality, the the involvement of it, the perfection of it. But you'll still be you. We'll not only know each other as he did and as we do here, but even the more so. Paul says we will know even as we are known. Or in other words, with perfect knowledge. Hallelujah thank God. You see, we're only a, just a little bit of what God wants to make a whole lot out of. And I'm going to say it again. All the love of God in my heart. How? With the promises of the two sermons that we ministered to you on the Garden of Eden. Our world and what it's going to be like. And then what you with all perseverance are going to inherit yourself when you get there and the earth having underwent a change, and humanity having put on immortality and still retaining still retaining the personality, still retaining the feeling of elation, still being able to glorify God, and yet placed in a setting where you'll never grow where you'll never experience weakness, where you'll never experience tears, where there'll never be no more separation, where no more despair, no more wars, no more bloodshed. And all of this is the promise. And God asks only one small thing, that we retain within us a pleasurable attitude toward Him and a responsibility in our heart toward Him to carry on what he has given us to do and forget about the world that is perishable and the pleasures that will burn and set your sights on an eternity with Jesus and inherit and receive the full payment of what you have a down payment of. We only have a few short years I sincerely believe it. Now, I know that people say, well, they preached this for years. And I know they have. I'm aware they have. But we only have just a few small years, even should you live your allotted time. It wouldn't be very long. And then to awake to eternal damnation, let me ask you a question. Would the pleasures that you receive now by disregarding God and the the fleshly appetites that are satisfied through compromise, is this worth a few short years of this? Is this worth eternal damnation to you? In comparison to just a few short years of endurance, and I don't mean that a Christian lives a life of drudgery. I don't buy that. I don't buy that at all. There's a few things that flesh wants to do. And that you have to sit down on him and say no. And he still cries out for it. But if we could ever learn to put that old flesh on a leash and say this is as far as you go. If we could ever learn to build a fence around him and show him his boundaries and tell him he goes no farther. He would be just like a child. He would try it for a while, and finally he would get the idea. And he'd know that's as far as he'd go. But most of us have not disciplined our flesh. And to know that we would trade just a few little orts, remnants, pieces, A worldly pleasure for an eternity in an incorruptible body in a world that's restored as the Garden of Eden. Beautiful. No more sea. Everything is watered by a mist. The garden. Very, very easy work. Wouldn't even be work at all. Care of man. And we would trade all this in eternity for just a little while here it doesn't really make sense to me and I'm wondering sometimes as young and old alike are we going to make up our minds that these good things are for us in time to inherit them Are we going to let that foul spirit prey on us and blind our eyes and sing out into our heart and our mind, there's time enough yet, you hear, time enough yet. Time enough yet, you hear, time enough yet. You don't have to do it now. Do it tomorrow, do it the next day. It don't have to be now. Or if that isn't ringing in your ears, what's ringing in your ears is the lie of the devil. Just go ahead. Speak to him every once in a while. Pray a little bit. And uh, just just uh, read God's word if you want to. And, and come to the house of God however you get ready. And God's so merciful that he'll save you anyway. Let me issue a challenge to you tonight. If you find that in the Bible, I want to read it. Anytime you find the way to eternal life, you find laws of God as stair steps that lead you there. And God's demands are that you meet them or you do not inherit eternal life. It's just that simple. Now we're entering in the 80s as I close. This is just a few of the things that the Bible is full of. I wish you'd just go and search it yourself and check and see what you're going to have. We're in the end of the 80s. I'll say it again, Russia's on the move. The world church is on the move. The United States of Europe is formulating. We're playing our role in the Western world of setting back. What do we need? The world ruler is alive. All he's doing is setting back, waiting for the chance to take over. And we have one thing that we ought to recognize. We belong to God. We're God's Israel. We're His servant nation. We're a kingdom of priests and kings. He separated us and gave us this land. And we send 99% of the missionaries to other lands. Let's turn it back to God. Before we see people like the Hayden Boys, Kenny Wenders, Robert Turner, Roger Schmock, Jimmy Schmock, and John, and on and on you go. Before we see them have to take up arms to defend our coastal areas, all because mom and dad in the church didn't put any emphasis on the startling signs that streamed out to us every day over the television set. Right in our own living rooms. Shall we stop?